Hello, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word to study from within it and learn how to glorify and honor Him, to learn how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The lesson you're about to hear was taught by one of the elders of the Franklin Church, Brother Phil Barnes, as he examines the life and actions of Elijah so that we might learn how we can emulate him. So open your Bible and let's learn about Elijah. Good to have everyone here, and good to have especially those who are visiting. If you're with us, we really appreciate your presence and hope that you'll find it in your way to come back and worship with us again when you're this in this direction here. I really appreciate what Kenny had to say this morning, and I almost got up afterwards, Kenny, just to say, you know, you're not the only one that's failed. We're all failures. In fact, that's why Jesus came and died for us, because we've all failed, and we do still fail from time to time. But the difference in a Christian's life is, is when he fails, he repents and comes and calls back on his Lord. And tonight, I kind of want to follow up, because that was a great lesson this morning regarding, you know, situations in our life, and it's not us, it's... Uh, when we're successful in life, it's us and the Lord. And when I think about my life and think about those around me who I love the most, which are here tonight, I think about that we do stumble and fall often. In the Bible, there's mentioned several people that you and I try to emulate for good reasons as far as them emulating Jesus Christ. But everyone in the Bible, except for the Lord, was a failure at some point in their life because they sinned. But we know that Jesus, we have something to look forward to, kind of like when you're small and you want to, you look up to your parents. My dad could do no wrong in my life when I was growing up. I mean, he was the man. And I know a lot of you feel that way about your parents. I'm sure we've got girls that felt that way about their mother. But my dad was just somebody that always wanted to please, wanted to please my mother so I wouldn't get beat. But I wanted to please my dad because he didn't do any of the beating. <laughs> my mom did it. I know you don't believe that. She's not here, so, but she could swing a mean switch. In John 3.19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. We live in a world of darkness here on this earth in, in the means of sin. It's all around us. But we often say, I wish I had the faith of Abraham or the courage of David or... You know, we all have... Bible characters that are our favorites. I can go to the Old Testament and look at the life of Nehemiah. He's one of my favorites. Joseph is another one of my favorites. And, of course, Moses. But there was one in particular in the Old Testament that I can really, really relate to, and that's Elijah. You know, he's mentioned several places in the Bible. And to our small children, I know they've studied this particular person here, 
But I think it's interesting how that Elijah's life is so similar to my life. But if you look at Elijah, you look at where his heart was in James 5.17. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Maybe that's what you should have prayed for, James, like him. (laughs) And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. When you look at Elijah, you look at a man with great faith. He depended on God, and he knew God was there. But he wasn't Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ was a perfect one. Over in First Peter, the second chapter, in the 21st verse, For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. He himself who bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we have died to sin, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. He was a perfect man in every sense. When I try to emulate someone in Scripture, it's Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm a failure at times in my life. I failed, and I repented and was baptized from mission of my sins. And I have failed since then and have prayed to the Lord on repeated occasions to forgive me of many things I've done over and over again. But we've noticed there were several people in the Bible that followed God who we can be proud of from that standpoint as long as they were following Him. But in Hebrews 6.12, it says, Do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Later on, it talks about about having like watching a race of people. In Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the races set before us, Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is one we can emulate. And the only way I'm going to emulate him is by doing exactly what the passage says here in Romans, the 15th chapter. In Romans 15:4, the Apostle Paul said, For even, or third, the third verse says, For even Christ did not please himself, but it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The only way that I'm going to make it is by looking to my author and finisher of my faith, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's never going to let me down. I'm going to let you down, and you're going to let me down occasionally. We're all going to let each other down. But Jesus Christ is one that will never let us down. 
And when I go back and talk about Elijah, what does the New Testament say about him? Well, we just read it. It said he was a man of great prayer. I mean, he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered his prayer. He's also mentioned in the Transfiguration over in Luke, the ninth chapter. We're not going to turn over there, but he's mentioned there. We often give up our faith because we can't be like Elijah, or we can't be like Joseph, or we can't be like Moses. But they were people that failed like we do. If you go back to 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, and this is why Elijah is so brings it down to me to be so much like me and, and other people, is he's got a lot of confidence at this moment here. He's told Obadiah to go get Ahab, bring him over here. And in verse 21 of chapter 18, he comes to all the people and he says, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. You're talking about a man of great faith right here. Elijah, isn't he? Just a man of great faith. But verse 27, they, he calls upon them to, uh, to bring this fire out for their sacrifice. In verse 27, it came out about noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a God. Either he's occupied or gone aside or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. Can you imagine somebody saying something like this? Go wake him up. Maybe your God's asleep or something. I don't know. So what happens? Well, nothing happens. Well, then Elijah gets the opportunity, and he not only arranges the sacrifice, but he has a lot of water put on it. Verse 35 says, The water flowed around the altar and also filled the trench with water. And he comes in verse 36 and says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah said, Seize the prophets of Baal, and do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. We have a situation here where a man is before one of the meanest kings and, of course, the meanest cruel wife, Jezebel, and he's taunting them. In fact, when he asked Obadiah to go get Ahab, Obadiah is so scared, he said, hey, man, if you're not going to be here, uh, I'm gonna, he'll kill me. I mean, that's how scared they were of, of Ahab. Elijah said, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. And he is. What do you think? If you look at this story by Elijah, you would think, this is, that's who I want to emulate. What a man. But how can a man with so much confidence go over just a few chapters into 2 Kings, the ninth chapter, when the old wicked woman 
or actually, actually the next chapter, chapter 19. I mean, we're just, we're talking another chapter in the Bible. Ahab tells Jezebel what Elijah has done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, So may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You would think the person that told them to go get your king, go get all your prophets, and let's see whose God is God. The next day, he's shivering in his boots. But this is a man of God. Why would he be this way? And scared of a woman, Jimmy? <laughs> I didn't mean that just because you're scared of Gail, but you know, it just, <laughs> it just kind of came out. I'm sorry. What happens here? Well, I'll tell you what happens. He's afraid, he arose, and he ran for his life. That's what the next verse says. And he went a day's journey in verse 4 of chapter 19. And he sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than, not better than my father's. And he did, as people do, they're in deep depression. He goes to sleep under the juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones with a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in strength of that food forty days and forty nights before the mountain of God. This is incredible to me, the fact that we're talking about someone in the Bible that we try to emulate in many ways as far as he did to the Lord, but yet he failed in so many ways. He had faith one day, more so than I could ever have or would ever have, not could. And then, just right after that, it's like he's, maybe he's, uh, as we say, with the depression where you're high one minute and low the next. We can relate to that. The fact that he says right here, I've been zealous to the Lord. And he says, I alone am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Oh, poor me. Poor pitiful me. The fact of the matter is, by today's standards, he'd be called bipolar or manic depressive, whatever it may be. That one minute he's got tremendous highs and the next minute tremendous lows. He goes in a cave. How, how many times do you ever feel like going in a cave or just going somewhere and just getting away from everybody? Just I just want to be by myself. Feel sorry for myself. And that's what he that's where he's at here. But what does God tell him? God hears enough of it. And he's already taking care of his physical needs. He says I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So, poor pitiful me, Elijah, who I can relate to, 
he realizes, I'm not the only one. How many times do you feel like you have something wrong with you, either maybe emotionally or physically, and you think, oh, poor me, you know, got to take all this medicine or I got to do this. You know, Jimmy doesn't have to deal with it or David, and I'm, you know, I've got this. Well, you know, Jimmy's got something else and David's got something else. That's what it's about. We all have something going on in our lives. That's just a part of this life as far as suffering concerned. But as far as sin's concerned, it's something we have to deal with too. We see what God does in the big picture. As Kenny said this morning, what a great verse, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to the will and the do for his good pleasure. Elijah didn't need to be worrying about that. The Lord was going to take care of him. But what happens to Jezebel it is also fitting in 2 Kings, the ninth chapter, that you see here what happens to her, one of the most wicked people in the Bible. Jehu comes after, he goes to Jezreel in verse 30 of 2 Kings 9. She painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. And as Jehu entered the gate, she was several stories up. She said, Is it, is it well, Zimri, your master's murderer? Then he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And two or three officials looked down. And he said, Throw her down. So they threw her out the window, threw her down. Some of her blood was trampled, sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And when he came in and ate and drank, and he said, See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. They went to bury her, but they found nothing more of her than a skull, feet, and palms of her hands. Unbelievable, isn't it, by our standards? But God took care. He worked through these prophets. And this wicked person got what was due her. Well... Elijah is impatient. He lacks self-control. He decides to God, "Hey God, I'm ready. To, it's ready for me to die." But God is not on our timetable. It's not us to decide when our life should be taken. And he had more work for Elijah to do. You know, Paul wanted to go to heaven too, but in another sense. In Philippians, the first chapter, in the twenty-third verse. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. But nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you in all the progress of the joy and the faith. Paul knew that it wasn't up to him. It was up to God. But he knew but he wanted to be with the Lord. What about any other ones? Well, when you look at a man... Like David. David in verse, in Acts 13.22, which is kind of puzzling to some people, but he says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. Is a man doing the will of God a man who would go out and take another man's wife, commit adultery, have him murdered, and then lie? Is that a man after God's own heart? Well, if you look at the life of David, 
he wasn't predominantly like this. He had a failing at one point in his life here, and he suffered for it. Oh, did he suffer for it the rest of his life. We all know what happened. His firstborn died. He had his own house rebel against him, Absalom. His own son was put was killed by one of his soldiers. But David's attitude was prevalent. When Nathan came to him and told him the story about the little ewe lamb, what did David say? He talks about the guy getting the one lamb the guy had. He says, where is that man? I'll get him. He says, you are the man. What did David say? Did he do like I would have done and blame somebody else? No, he says, I had sinned. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. Because he wasn't like Saul before him where he would not admit things and was greedy. Romans 6, 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. I'm going to sin as a Christian trying to follow God from time to time. And you know, I might do some of the same things over and over. You know, I mean, I know there's been situations that I've told one, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And then, you know, after about the hundredth time, Don, you say, I'm sorry. And then they say, well, why do you, why do you keep doing it? Brent, if you're sorry, why do you keep doing it? Well, I didn't really mean to, but I did it. I said it, or I did it, it's over with, and I truly did repent. But what Paul's talking about are people that aren't truly repentant, people that are, they're going to let sin reign in their body. They're going to do things over and over again. They don't care what the Lord thinks or the repercussions or what the state of relationship they're in with the Lord, but they're going to keep on and on. Look at Moses. We're not going to turn to it. But Moses, what a strong, meek, tough, faithful individual. But in Numbers 20, God tells him to speak to the rock and water will come out. What does Moses do? He gets upset and he strikes the rock. And what does God do to him? A lot worse than, I mean, I've often thought, striking a rock and not getting to go into the promised land. Wow. But, you know, that's God's choice. As we see here, God told him to speak to the rock. And what he did in that, he brought glory to himself. But Moses is outlined in the catalog of the faithful in Hebrews 11th chapter. Moses was faithful to God. Did he stumble? Yes. But was he faithful? Yes. What about Peter? Peter was like a New Testament Elijah. One minute, Peter was walking out on the water with so much faith, and the next second, he lost his faith. Brent was bringing that up to me this morning about talking about Peter. How could a man go from one second to the other? But I do it. Sometimes my faith is real strong. Sometimes my faith is real weak. What is it that brings it back, though? It's my will to follow God's will in my mind by turning back to Scripture, by praying to my Lord, and realizing and saying, I have sinned. I have sinned. And that's what Peter does. He, rebu- he's, he, he brings much courage after he denies the Lord. 
But yet he's rebuked in Galatians 2 by Paul for eating with Gentiles. But when the Jews came, then he would move over. How many of you kids are in school and, and you're eating with a popular person, her so-called popular one at school, and then, uh, or they'll talk to you or something, and then when some of the other popular ones come in, they kind of just leave off. I think we all had that done to us when we're in school, and that, that's not a good feeling, is it? Well, Peter did this, spiritually speaking here, and had a bad attitude, and Paul rebuked him for it. But what about John, the one the Lord loved? If you turn over to Luke, the ninth chapter, you see where his attitude wrong is wrong. They come into a Samaritan town, the Jesus and his followers, and they're thinking, you know, people are going to welcome him in. And what does John do? In the 54th verse, when the disciples saw, James and John saw this, how people did not receive Jesus, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from the heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? And he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of the spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And he went to another village. So we see this part that John, the one who loved Jesus, the one who Jesus turned to, the one one of Jesus' probably best friends, he fails. He's guilty of failure too. You know, I've never murdered anybody. I've never denied the Lord that I know of, that I can think of in public, obviously. But we all have spiritual struggles in our life. And as I get older, I see that. I can remember even up through high school when I would study or hear preaching about how the Bible is so much talking about hanging there, encouragement, hope. And I would think, it is easy. But my life was easy at that time. But as you live to be older, your life becomes more complex. Maybe not your life, but those around you, but yours too at times. And you have people in your family that that do things they shouldn't do or they don't do what they should do. And people die suddenly when they weren't supposed to. They were too young. or People get divorced, people lose their jobs, all kinds of things happen. You look in a congregation like this, I can get the Franklin Road directory when I was growing up and look back and people have either died or left and gone to other churches. You could get a directory at Chestnut Lane 10 years ago, and I can tell you right now that 60% of them aren't here for one reason or the other. Some have moved, some have left the Lord, some have left and went other places. That's just the way it is. And as I see that, I realize the need that I have, that Kenny talked about this morning, that with the Lord's help, I can overcome whatever sin. And maybe that partakes of something more so than just praying. Maybe I need to do something about it. Maybe I need to get counseling. Maybe I need to go to a doctor and get checked out. Maybe I need to study the Bible more. Maybe I need to develop a closer relationship with you where I can share things. Whatever that may be, 
God has provided a way for us to make it. There's nothing that can happen in our life that should cause us to lose our faith in God or to give up our faith completely. Because there's no dead ends with God. And that's the great thing about being a Christian, is there's no dead ends. Paul said, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Don't think when things are going great, because I've seen this happen in people's lives where things were going great financially for them or uh, domestically, socially, everything, and then some big failure happens in their life. Maybe they stole something or they ran off with someone that wasn't their spouse, committed a, an act, whatever it may be. From that standpoint, don't think you're ever too big that you oh, I'd never do that or I'd never do this. I might do that sin and that sin, but I'm never going to do these. Well, with God, you won't do any of them. If you put God first in your life, you depend on God. You go to the Scripture when things come up. You depend on your brethren for help and support. When you use everything that God has given to us, and that's bear one another burdens, study, pray, communicate, live your life in a way that you should, the best you can. And no matter where you are in your life, you start, as Kenny said, right now. We're at this point tonight in our lives where we're either serving God and on the incline or we're starting to slip down with Satan. I don't know where you're at. You don't know where I'm at. But we have a relationship with the Lord. And we should examine ourselves, as the Bible says, daily to see where we're at. I haven't ever murdered anybody. But I've hated people. We may not commit sexual immorality, but times we think of it. We wouldn't steal, but at times we would covet. Paul said he was a murderer. When I think of that, when you think of murderers, you think of the worst people in the world, don't you? But with the Lord, a sin is a sin. And there are consequences for the big ones, as we call them. But what I'm here to tell you tonight is, everybody in this book that were God's people have failed at some time in their life. But the Lord was always there to pick them up. And He's here to pick you up tonight. No matter what your condition is, if you're so low that things are bad in your life, your family, or your spiritual situation, or your social, or economic, or domestic, or school situation, don't give in to Satan and give up. That's what he wants you to do. But what you do is, is you pray to God and say, I need your help, Lord. I'm ready to start right now. It's going to be a climb. It's going to take me a while to get out of whatever trouble I'm in. But whatever it is, I'll get over it because God has promised. Just like he did Elijah, and he was there, wasn't he, for Elijah. Well, he's there for us, too. We look at a lot of these stories, and we think, well, God did all this for these people. Well, how do you think you're here tonight? How do you think you've gotten to your place in life when you were at your best?
spiritually. It was because the Lord was there. If there's anybody in the audience that have not obeyed the gospel, the gospel is as clear now as it was over 2,000 years ago when Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing everyone in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son? Or do you need maybe the prayers here? Whatever we can do to assist you spiritually, why not come as we stand and sing? I hope this look at Elijah has edified and encouraged you to continue in your service and faithfulness to God. If you have any questions about Elijah, about how to be like Elijah, about the Franklin Church of Christ, please give us a call at 615-794-2359, or you may reach us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps someone has given you this lesson on audio tape or on CD. If that's the case, I'd like to encourage you and invite you to go to that website that I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have numerous lessons there that you're free to download, both in audio and outline format. Please use them in any way that you believe will edify others and glorify God. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.